Hello, everybody. Welcome back into the latest Bubble Crossover special here on the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Evan Setter, the host of Locked On Suns. I am joined by Matt George, the host of Locked On Kings. We discuss both the Kings and the Suns today as we get closer and closer to NBA basketball finally resuming down in Orlando. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm good, my friend. I'm uh, counting down the days till basketball returns. Uh, just got off a, a media scrum with the uh, the Sacramento Kings live from Orlando. They're getting excited even about these uh, scrimmage games that are coming up in a week. Uh, so, hey, basketball back is a great thing, and, and hopefully it'll be able to uh, that Orlando bubble will be able to stay intact all the way through to the uh, NBA Finals. I'm very hopeful with you on that as well, Matt. Let's dive in now to the Sacramento Kings and start the show with the Kings, then go into the Suns for the last segment of our show. Because the Kings this year, Matt, they're 28-36, and 36, two games ahead of the Suns in the standings here. What's been your thoughts watching this team so far this year? Because last year they were the, the Cinderella team, so to say, almost pulled off the eighth seed without this bubble format in place. What, what was your thoughts so far on this Kings season? It's kind of been a roller coaster a little bit. They had a hot start, started off cold, then went and got hot again. What's it been like watching this sort of roller coaster happen in Sacktown? A uh, roller coaster is a good way to to put it. Uh, it's been a disappointing year, absolutely. The Kings were hoping to uh, replicate what the uh, Denver Nuggets had done a couple of years ago, and that's uh, just miss out on the playoffs and then cement themselves firmly as a playoff team in the West. I wasn't ready to to call them a a fifth seed or higher like the Nuggets were, uh, but I was uh, I, we we definitely had the expectations here in Sacramento that the Kings were going to be in a playoff spot or, or definitely deserving of a playoff spot uh, by the time things were all said and done. Now, they, they do happen to be in uh, this uh, Orlando bubble right now with a chance to make the playoffs, but would I call them a playoff team based off of how they've played so far this season? Absolutely not. It has been disappointing. Uh, Luke Walton coming in the transition with the new head coach is always kind of wishy-washy, but uh, the Kings put expectations on the table right away with the hiring of Luke Walton and the firing of Dave Yeager, which was Walton is the guy that takes the Kings to the next step and takes the Kings to the playoffs. And so far, based off of all of, of what we've seen this season, the Kings have not moved forward. They've moved backwards a little bit. Now they do have the excuse, and it's a fair excuse, of the injury issues that they've dealt with. I mean, this team has not been healthy for all except one game. Uh, and uh, Marvin Bagley going down, breaking his thumb in the in the first half, uh, or rather the second half of the Phoenix Suns game uh, on opening night, that changed things completely for the Sacramento Kings because their game plan was heavy in, in pick-and-roll offensive sets in transition between Fox and Bagley, and then with uh, Dwayne Dedman, who of course is no longer a king, uh, standing on the perimeter. So that had to change overnight. Fox has been injured. Rashawn Holmes, who's had a great season for the Kings, has been injured. Bogdan Bogdanovich has been injured at times it's just been a really rough season so the fact that the Sacramento Kings are in the bubble with a chance at the playoffs they should be more than happy and thankful for that looking at De'Aaron Fox for a second Matt because look as we get further and further away from the 2017 draft of course the Suns made a huge mistake not going De'Aaron Fox there because he would have definitely helped out the Suns team with Devin Booker and if you still had DeAndre on this team a year later I think that would have been a very fun trio there but Sacramento is reaping the benefits of De'Aaron Fox there because He's improving every single year. So far this year for Sacramento, he's averaging 20.4 points per game, almost seven assists, one-half steals per game. And his two-point percentage as well, he's gone way up from 48% to about 52%, one of the better marks for point guards in the NBA so far this year. What's it been like watching Fox's development? Because I feel like he's on the cusp of making that really, really big star leap, Matt. Oh, Fox is going to be a star, and I'm just hoping that he is going to be a star and his career will be uh, in King's pur- uh, Purple here in Sacramento. 
but uh, it's been a fun journey to watch. It's been going from his first start in the NBA, which was a matinee game against the Washington Wizards against John Wall, and he got absolutely embarrassed in that game, and the Kings got blown out. Him growing from that to finishing out his rookie season relatively strong. His sophomore year, we were hoping to see more of De'Aaron Fox grow as a floor general and a leader. He absolutely did that, was up for the Most Improved Player of the Year award. And then this year, the expectation, at least for me, was, okay, Fox, show me that you are the star. Show me that you are the leader. Show me that you're the guy uh, that will get the bucket or lead the Kings back when when they need their star to carry them through. Uh, And he's done that when he's been healthy uh, so far this season. So a lot to love about De'Aaron. Aaron Fox. He definitely is the piece for the future uh, in Sacramento. He has a nice payday coming up here, rightfully deserved. And, and like I said, hopefully his entire career uh, will be in Kings purple here in the, uh, the California capital because Sacramento has been searching for a star and a leader like him for a very, very long time. Like DeAndre Ayton, Matt, with Marvin Bagley so far this year, he's only played 13 games. He hurt his, his thumb in the very beginning season up against this Suns team, but 75 total games so far in his career, only 10 starts so far for Bagley. How big of a, a year is it upcoming in 2020-21 for Marvin Bagley? Because I think he's going to have to show more. I know he's definitely shown glimpses throughout his career so far in Sacramento, but this bubble period, but as well as next season, how big is that for the next step for Bagley? Bagley, more than anything else, just needs court time. You mentioned he hasn't even played a full season yet, hasn't played a whole 82 games. And I do not like the term injury prone for any player, especially young players. And you look at the majority of the injuries that Marvin Bagley has had, and they're not his fault. I mean, he has his thumb broken by, I believe it was DeAndre Ayton uh, in the opening game. He, his rookie year was out two or three times, had an injury where he hurt his back being pulled down from behind going for a rebound. He hurt his knee when Malcolm Brogdon dove for a loose ball into the back of his knee. So these are injuries that just happen playing basketball. They're not, they're not based off of an injury history that he has. Now, he did have this foot injury that has kept him out until this point. That is a bit concerning because we don't know where that came from. And if that continues to flare up and bother him throughout his career, we know how important the feet and the legs are uh, to an athletic big man, which is exactly what Marvin Bagley is. So that's a concern going forward. But overall, Marvin Bagley just needs court time. He needs time to to work through not just the rust of not playing, but figuring out the NBA. He still has some very clear issues, some very clear deficiencies. On the offensive end, he's pretty tunnel vision, doesn't really distribute the ball too well, which the Kings want more out of him there. Uh, He is very left-hand dominant, so if you force him right, he doesn't really know necessarily what to do. And then the biggest thing that that bothers me about Marvin Bagley, especially with the Kings wanting to use him in pick and roll and pick, uh, pick and pop scenarios, is he sets terrible screens. He either slips the screen way too early or barely makes any contact uh, with the uh, the man he is screening so he doesn't help out his guards at all there's a lot of stuff that Marvin Bagley needs to work on and we know he's willing to put the work in in practice but it's getting the game reps the court time uh, that he is lacking at this point and sometimes we need a healthy reminder of why Marvin Bagley was the number two overall pick in the first place now I think we would both agree that Bagley at number two was a mistake by the Kings. I mean, there, there's a clear number one overall pick in both of our teams uh, missed on him, and that's Luka Doncic. Now, I imagine the Suns are feeling better about Aiton than the Kings are feeling about Bagley right now. But Marvin Bagley still has incredible talent. Uh, and in his limited spurts, he has played really, really well. His best game of his career was the game before he got hurt with this foot injury, and he hasn't played since. That's when he went had 15-15 and 15, uh, against the Heat in Miami. 
So there is plenty of talent there with Marvin Bagley. It's just about the reps at this point. Yeah, with Bagley, he's definitely one of those cornerstone pieces that he can develop alongside De'Aaron Fox. can be a really fun pick-and-roll duo for the next, hopefully, 10-plus years in Sacramento. But I wanted to hit on as well Buddy Heald because it's been a really interesting year from Heald and the Kings' perspective because we heard the rumors in February about Heald might request a trade. He remains unhappy in his role. He's been on off the bench there. He also almost down the wire signed an extension last summer or last fall with this Kings team. He just now started that extension this past year, which can be going to effect until 2021. What's the future look like for Buddy Heald in Sacramento, Matt? It's a good question. There's a bright and a dark side to Buddy Heald. And the bright side is what most people outside of Sacramento see because of his shooting numbers and the highlights that he puts up. And, and to be fair to Buddy, he had a lot of the weight of the team put on his shoulders with both Bagley and Fox out for extended periods of time. Uh, and he did struggle at times, but also had a couple of fantastic games, led the Kings to a victory over the Boston Celtics early on in the season when the Celtics have lost or had lost at that point all of like one or two games. Uh, so Buddy Heald, I mean, let's just look at, him for what he is he's a phenomenal shooter phenomenal shooter especially in catch and shoot situations still struggles to really find his fit shooting off the dribble and setting himself up and his teammates up but his catch and shoot ability more than makes up for that that's the light side of buddy healed what people don't see from Buddy Heald or with Buddy Heald unless you watch the Kings consistently is he makes a lot of basketball IQ mental mistakes in key points uh, of a game that just can't happen, dribbling the ball off of his leg, uh, losing his man defensively. The Kings lost a game to the San Antonio Spurs that they more than should have won in San Antonio early on in the season because Buddy Heald fell asleep, was watching the ball, and allowed Marco Bellinelli to sneak to the wing and get a wide-open three-pointer uh, to win that game for San Antonio. That happens more than people realize. So while I do uh, fully support the Kings paying him that contract because he deserves it as a shooter in the modern NBA, Buddy Heald, in my opinion, has been exposed a little bit this season as a average to even below average in certain areas all around basketball player. You mix that in with the off-court issues that he's had, questioning publicly uh, Coach Walton's rotations and his decision-making, kind of threatening before he got his contract that he'd be willing to take his talents elsewhere if the Kings didn't pay him the money that he deserves. Uh, Buddy Heald has not done himself any favors in that sense with the organization and with his teammates. Of course he wants to be on the floor. Of course he's a competitor. But the reality is when the Kings moved him to the bench, they were playing better. not saying Buddy Heald was the problem as a starter, but as a six-man volume scorer with the second unit, he has his best fit. I think Buddy Heald could be a fantastic six-man for the Kings going forward, but he has to accept that role, and that's a major question mark for him right now. Yeah, I think Buddy Heald's going to be one of the more intriguing pieces to watch for this team, whether he's a piece moved for a bigger salary or bigger player in the future for this Kings team, or if he does accept that six-man role, I think he'd really thrive in that for this Kings team. But the last few questions I have for you, Matt, on the Kings for diving to the Suns here, I'd be remiss not to ask you about former son Rashawn Holmes, who feels like he's found a home finally in Sacramento. I think he did very well for himself last year in Phoenix, too, in a limited role. I, I think the Suns should have re-signed him in their contract, but the Kings are definitely reaping the benefits there because 13 points per game, eight rebounds, almost a block and a half per game, shooting 65% from the floor. And also Rashawn, like I thought he would be in Phoenix, too, a huge fan favorite there for the Kings in, in Sacramento. What's it been like watching Rashawn Holmes this year? Do you feel like he's finally found a home there in the purple and white? Rashawn Holmes is everything that Sacramento wanted Willie Cauley-Stein to be. He brings that energy. He brings that effort. He can protect the rim, although he could improve there. 
He runs the floor. He's very fast, very versatile, sets good screens, uh, can cut to the basket, good at second chance opportunities, can also shoot even though the Kings don't really give him the opportunity to shoot from the perimeter. He works on that shot every single day in practice and before uh, every single game. And we know that he can make him at a decent clip because of his time in, in Philadelphia, if I'm not mistaken. Rashawn Holmes is a fantastic fit in Sacramento. And that's why he has thrived because he just fits in with what the Kings want him to do. This is a guard dominated league for the most part and wings of course are very important the center position has diminished a little bit it's still incredibly important but a a center that can space the floor that can shoot that can uh, play defense and that can rim run is perfect for what Sacramento wants going forward Uh, I don't know what their decision making process is going to be I would implore them or encourage them to find a way to Uh, keep Rashawn Holmes in Sacramento once his contract is up at the end of next season, especially if they can get a team-friendly deal. He's an absolute steal on the contract that he's on right now. But there are concerns with Rashawn Holmes about how he fits with Marvin Bagley, or honestly, more importantly, how Marvin Bagley fits with Rashawn Holmes, because those are two guys that that typically uh, do their work in the paint and around the rim. Uh, And there's concerns about there not being enough space for De'Aaron Fox and and those to to get to the rim and and have a a lane to attack the basket. So how that relationship is going to work out, we don't know. Would Rashawn Holmes eventually be open to coming off the bench? Uh, I certainly think he has more than earned the starting spot in Sacramento. So it's weird. But in, in terms of just a great guy and a great fit in Sacramento, the Kings couldn't ask for any better than Rashawn. I'm looking at their cap sheet right now, the Kings cap sheet on cleaning up glass right now, Matt, and a big summer coming up as far as the flexibility of this team moving forward because you locked in Buddy Heald, Harrison Barnstow on his deal. Corey Joseph really is on an expiring deal next year because his 2021-2022 year is non-guaranteed completely. Bogdan Bogdanovich is in line for a big payday too from the Kings. He's a restricted free agent this summer. What does the future look like for this Kings team? Because I feel like this is an important summer upcoming for them where it's going to be either Bogdan stays and gets a big deal, or if he does stay and gets that big deal, maybe like a Buddy Heald trade happens, something like that. Because I feel like the the Kings don't want to limit themselves flexibility-wise, right? I think the term big deal is is really broad because one we don't know how the cap situation is going to shake out now with not just uh, COVID-19 and how that has paused the season and completely changed the NBA calendar but also going all the way back to the issues that the NBA had with China at the beginning of the season which feels like freaking years ago but uh, but we don't know what kind of money Bogdan Bogdanovich is getting and there was concern or is going to get and there was concern going into this year that there was going to be a team maybe the Atlanta Hawks or something that would offer Bogia a big deal that Sacramento would have to match and ultimately kind of hurt their cap space and lock themselves up a little bit. I actually had a conversation about Bogdanovich with Sam Vecini from The Athletic. And while I like Bogey, I like what he brings. I think he's both overrated and underrated, if that makes sense in in certain areas. Uh, I I would like to see him remain a Sacramento King. I think he's a very important piece to this King's future. But the Kings have to be careful. And this is what Sam Vecini talked about. Sacramento has to be very careful, uh, careful not to basically cap themselves into a team that's at best an eighth or seventh seed. Uh, and we saw the Washington Wizards do this a couple of years ago, right? The amount of money that they paid to Beal, to Wall, and to Otto Porter uh, resulted in them basically having to give away Porter and another couple of pieces for next to nothing because of that luxury tax penalty uh, that they were facing. So it's a very legitimate concern, something that the Kings are paying attention to. They have a, an assistant general manager in Ken Cantonella that's an absolute 
cap and contract wizard. So I have faith in him uh, in figuring it out. But uh, in terms of like a, maybe a percentage that I would put on Bogey returning to Sacramento, don't know what the figures are going to be, but I'd say it's like a 75 to 80% chance Bogey will be in a Kings uniform beyond this season. Uh, and maybe the other 20% is a sign and trade possibility. Who knows? Last one I had for you, Matt, before we dive into the Phoenix Suns. The Kings are four games back at this eight seed with the Memphis Grizzlies, who are 32 and 33. Kings, like I mentioned at the top of the show, 28 and 36. What's your expectations for this team down in Orlando in the bubble? I think they have as good of a chance, truly, as any of these bubble teams to make the playoffs. That being said, it's going to be definitely an uphill battle. Uh, There's a reason why the Pelicans are favored as as much as they are, because they have talent. And it's not necessarily the Zion and Brandon Ingrams uh, of the Pelicans that I look at. It's the veteran presence. It's the holiday or Drew Holidays, and it's the uh, the JJ Reddicks. That's what I think gives a team like that the edge. Of course, if the Portland Trailblazers are healthy, they've been there before, and they have an absolute star and stud in Damian Lillard who can carry that team on his back uh, to or, or to the playoffs if, uh, if he has to. And the Memphis Grizzlies, I mean, they deserve to be in that eighth seed. They have a lot of talent, and I know a lot of people aren't necessarily expecting them to hold on to that spot, but I still think they're a very legitimate threat. That being said, Sacramento has been blatantly disrespected by, uh, by media members, by ESPN, by the ringer, and in them giving the Kings absolutely no chance to make the playoffs because Sacramento has had success against every single one of these bubble teams so far this year. With the exception of the Pelicans, they have played them only once and lost that one game, but it came down to the wire but they've beaten the Portland Trailblazers. They're 3-1 and one against the Memphis Grizzlies. They've had success against San Antonio. Uh, they are very much in the mix, and if they can play the fast-paced, tempo, uh, run-and-gun style of offense that we saw at the beginning of the 2018-2019 season, I could see Sacramento running teams out of the gym and stealing a couple of big wins. Now, I think it's personally going to take 6-2. and two. For the Kings to make it into the play-in game. And at that point, of course, we know they, they would have to beat whoever the eighth seed is, probably the Grizzlies twice. But finding six wins is difficult. You, at worst, have to split your two games with the New Orleans Pelicans. But I think it's going to take wins over both of them. You have a matchup against the Lakers. You have a matchup against the Rockets. You have a matchup against the Mavericks. It's not going to be an easy push. But Sacramento's ready for the challenge. They have great young players. Uh, good veteran talent and if Marvin Bagley is healthy and ready to play he can be a big X factor as well we're going to transition on Matt into some talk about the Phoenix Suns before we do so I want to remind everyone you've been not already subscribed to not only Locked On Suns but also Locked On Kings of Matt we're back to five days a week now as we ramp up into basketball action resuming down in Orlando whether you're on Apple Podcasts Spotify Google Play wherever you're listening to us on make sure to subscribe to Locked On Suns and Locked On Kings and all the channels on the Locked On NBA Podcast Network but guys just a second talk about the Phoenix Suns with Matt all righty, Matt, we are back to talk Phoenix Suns here. I'll give you the floor here to ask me some questions. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure to be able to speak with you about the Suns. And I want to be careful here to start things out because, Evan, I want to make sure that I'm not disrespecting Phoenix like I feel the Kings have been disrespected. But I, I truly, I look at the Phoenix Suns as a team that was invited to this bubble because uh, they needed one more team to make it even. I personally believe both Phoenix and Washington shouldn't even be here. There's a there's an argument that maybe San Antonio shouldn't be here, uh, but I, I, 
I disagree with that because they still have some good talent. So I don't, I say that trying not to be disrespectful. That's why I wanted to get your opinion on it and the, the Phoenix Suns perspective on it. Devin Booker, obviously a very talented player. I like the, the roster of Phoenix and what they're trying to do. A, a lot of young pieces that can definitely use these reps and use this time to their advantage and their development like the Kings. But do you really feel that the Suns belong here in this Orlando bubble right now? That's a really valid and good question there, Matt, because like you mentioned, it was really down to the wire until the very end there when the NBA officially announced 22-team format. We originally thought it would be 20, maybe and just go straight into the playoffs with 16. But when they announced 22, like you mentioned, you had to have even teams for this kind of format to happen, the eight regular season games. And the Suns and Wizards, they're, they're two teams that finally qualified there, the Wizards being 24-40, and 40, the Suns being 26-39 on the season. I think the Suns team, when you look at the odds, Matt, they have less than 1% chance to make the playoffs here. They'll have to have a magical run here. The playoffs start for them right away. They have to go 8-0 to even yeah. have a chance of sniffing that playing tournament, which says a lot about where they're at right now in these standings. And I think, it's, I think overall, personally, they shouldn't have been invited in this tournament because when you look at the realistic teams making the playoffs, I think the Suns obviously have the worst chance of doing so. But from the Suns' perspective, they're saying it's more as a development type of, of curve. They obviously want to make the playoffs. They want to make a magical run and go 8-0 here. But – they have Devin Booker. They have DeAndre, who has only played about 100 games so far in his career. He obviously needs more reps. Mikhail Burgess, too. If Kelly Oubre does indeed play from his torn meniscus, that will be a help to them as well. But I think the Suns team, they have a new coach in Monty Williams. They have all these new pieces they brought on board this past year. I think this is more of a, a gelling period for the Suns team. If they don't go 8-0, it's not really nothing to worry about because I think this next year, that should be the leap they eventually take there. But I think this is more of an opportunity for the Suns to finally show themselves that, hey, we're in this playoff environment, so to say. Let's take advantage of this. And if it doesn't go well, let's try to play spoiler a little bit. And look, this isn't a locked-on Kings high horse here. The reality is the Kings have two more wins than Phoenix. And Phoenix, under normal, normal circumstances, they're only two and a half games back of where Sacramento is right now. So in reality, the gap between the Kings and Suns, it's not drastic. But with eight games remaining to not only have to catch the Kings, but to have to catch uh, the Grizzlies that are so far ahead. Yeah, you're right. It's going to take an 8-0 and push. And even then, I don't know if that gets the job done. So that leads me into asking about the incentive for the best players of Phoenix to play. You talked about Aiton and the reps that he needs. 100% agree with that there. I'm the same way with Marvin Bagley and De'Aaron Fox. I think this, this, these games, the importance of these games, even if they see, these teams don't make the playoffs, the, the lessons that they can learn from playing in this environment and playing these important near playoff games uh, are going to be great for their development. But what about Devin Booker? What is the incentive for Devin Booker and the other veteran pieces of this uh, Phoenix Suns team to, to play and, and risk illness and risk injury? I think from the Suns' perspective, and especially Devin Booker, he's been talking about this for a couple of years now. I think back in 2017, he mentioned that he was tired of missing the playoffs and he wanted to finally make a push with his team. And I think from his perspective, he, he's so competitive and the competitive juices are always flowing with Booker there that he just wants to have a chance of making the playoffs, whether it be less than 1%. He's at least has the opportunity here, and he's going to take full advantage of that. I'm, I'm expecting really big Booker, Booker games here over these eight games in the Orlando bubble. And from his perspective, too, let's say the Suns go 4-4, four and four, or let's say they go 6-2. and two. If the Suns kind of lose their first few games there, I will not be shocked at all if they sat down Booker. But until then, I think Booker's going to try to put this team on his shoulders and say, let's go make this magical run. Let's go try to somehow make this play-in tournament and show the world the Suns belong in this, in this environment. So I think Booker, just a competitor overall, that's why he wants to be a part of this. Same goes for guys like Dario Saric. He wants to, he's a restricted free agent coming this offseason, so he wants to prove not only to the Suns, but others around the NBA that he can still play. 
and other veterans like Ricky Rubio too. He's been battling injuries here and there, but he's been well rested for the past four plus months. And I think he's really juiced up and ready to go as well for this kind of environment where the Suns kind of are going an empty slate, so to say. If they can go 8-0, they can finally make that tournament. If not, then it's not really much to worry about because, like I mentioned, I think it's more of a gelling period and a coalescing period for the Suns team where 2020-2021 could be the year for the Suns to finally take that leap forward to being a legit playoff contender. But I think from Booker's perspective and the other veterans, they just want to have that little small chance of making the playoffs, and that's really all they need is that incentive. I'm a huge fan of Monty Williams. I love that hiring by Phoenix, big supporter of, of Coach Williams. Uh, and a lot of us in Sacramento were looking at the the great start that Phoenix got off to this year and, and how Monty had this team playing and how the players seemed to really buy into what, what Monty was doing. And a lot of Kings looked at that with, with envy, seeing as how the Kings didn't interview anybody else. They hired Luke Walton. They brought him in. He was their guy. They wanted Luke Walton before they even hired Dave Yeager. But at the time, Walton wasn't interested because he, of course, wanted to go coach the Los Angeles Lakers. So Monty Williams, what faith does he have, not just from the, the organization, from the fans, but from these players? I mean, there are some pretty uh, big personalities on this Phoenix Suns roster. Does Monty continue to have uh, their full respect? And do you think he can maximize each of their uh, ability and uh, attention and effort through these eight games in the Orlando bubble? Yeah, I think so. Monty's done an incredible job his first year with the Phoenix Suns. He signed a five-year contract this offseason, the first that the Suns have had, I believe, since Steve Kerr, Alvin Gentry, and the seven seconds or less there, which says a lot about where the Suns team has come from a coach perspective, where he used to be just a a turnstile with Igor Kokoshkov, the the former King assistant now over in Fenerbahce in in Europe, but also talking about guys like Jay Triano, Earl Watson. It's been a lot, a roller coaster, so to say, of coaches here, but Monty Williams, finally brought stability to this organization. Like you mentioned, the organization themselves, Robert Sarver, the owner, James Jones, the GM, have full trust in Monty Williams to help them out. But also on the court and in behind the scenes, Monty has definitely earned the player's trust there. It's, he's not only a player's coach, but he's also with an authoritative hand too. So if you, if you don't do what he asks of you, you're going to be kind of in his dockout, so to say, and kind of learn with some tough love there. But Monty has done really well to modernize his offense. He's done very well to move forward here as far as helping a guy DeAndre Ayton, who was a very subpar defender his rookie year and throughout his college career at the University of Arizona. But this past year, he's doubled his block percentage, doubled his blocks per game, become sort of the anchor on defense. And I don't think that would have happened without Monty Williams coming on board and his coaching staff working daily with DeAndre Ayton. Same goes for Mikhail Bridges, who had a hitch and a shot. But that's all but gone now, thanks to Monty and his development staff helping them out. So I think he's really embraced developing this young core. I know it's a very young core they have in place with Ayton, Bridges, Booker, Oubre, et cetera. But I think he really loves the challenge of helping these guys out. And eventually when they hit their primes, they're going to be really well refined and ready to go. Because Monty, if you all remember, declined the Lakers job. They offered him the Lakers job. He said no. He took the Phoenix Suns job instead because I think he wanted that challenge. He didn't want that drama in Los Angeles, LeBron, all that. So I think him choosing the Suns over the Lakers said a lot. And it also is showing up on the court and behind the scenes too because this Suns team would not be where it is right now without Monty. Evan, who knows what next season is even going to look like, how many games they're going to play, if it's going to start before Christmas, during Christmas. That's all up in the air. But you mentioned the high expectations or high hopes, I guess, for the organization for the 2020-2021 season, that maybe that will be the year that the Phoenix Suns solidify themselves as a playoff team in the West. I know a lot of Kings fans and the Kings themselves are looking at that same thing. I've said before on my podcast that if if the Kings miss the playoffs this year and have another down year next year, the the seat for both Luke Walton and especially general manager Vlade Divac is going to be 
red hot because they moved on from Jaeger with the expectations that they were going to be making the playoffs right away. uh, And they can't halt that momentum or certainly uh, go backwards from that point, which they seem to have been doing at least to this point here today. But I look at the state of the West, Evan, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at these teams that are also in that same boat. You mentioned the Suns. I mentioned the Kings. The Minnesota Timberwolves now bring D'Angelo Russell in. They have high expectations to move forward. The Golden State Warriors are going to be, in my opinion, right back to being a really damn good basketball team, assuming they get healthy, and they might even get the number one overall pick on top of that. So Phoenix, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Golden State is going to be right back in the mix. Someone in this bubble right now that maybe deserves to be a playoff team, whether it's Portland uh, or Memphis, or uh, uh, New Orleans, they're going to be left out and expected to make that jump next year. And I can't see too many teams in the West really falling off right now. I've been, I was shocked by how well the Oklahoma City Thunder played this year. I know the Spurs are falling off, but they're out of the playoff picture right now. The West just continues to get better and better, and so many teams are trying to cash in at the same time. How difficult of a road do you think it's going to be, not just for your sons, but for the Sacramento Kings as well, to get that eighth seed or seventh seed or be a perennial playoff team in the West for starting next season. Yeah, it's going to be really tough sledding here. This is why I wish like teams like the Suns and the Kings were out East because I think they'd actually have a legitimate chance of making the playoffs this year, which says a lot about the conference and the way the West is right now. You have the Lakers, you have the, the Clippers, you have the Jazz, they have the Thunder as well. who did very well for themselves this year. Who knows they actually pull a plug and rebuild finally this year, but you have Denver as well, Dallas on the Ascension. And like you mentioned, all these teams on the outside looking in that I think have a really good chance of taking these leaps next year. Zion Williamson, New Orleans, Damian Lillard with the Blazers still are there, a threat out there. And Golden State, like, like you mentioned, Matt, I think it's going to be right back in the playoffs next year as a legitimate solidified playoff team. So I think there's not many spots left. But from the Sun standpoint, I think it's going to take a lot for them to make it. But I think that's why they're so over the clock, so to say, Matt, because Devin Booker signed his five-year max extension this past summer. He's on that deal right now. This is the first year of a five-year extension. But – they're sort of on the clock now, so to say. They have two or three years to really make this rebuild work. Or Booker, with the way that disgruntled stars are nowadays, I imagine he'll probably ask out in two or three years if things don't go well. So I think the Suns are one of those teams who might have a little bit of pressure on their back burner and say to themselves, okay, we have two or three years to make this right with Booker, who is our franchise voting block, sort of the savior of this rebuild, to help him out. So I could see him trying to make a big move this offseason, whether it be tripping remember be trading Kelly Oubre Jr. and his expiring contract away to help out maybe get a bigger piece on board, the four, the three, whether it's DeAndre making that superstar leap, which I think the Suns are really banking on at this point, is that Aiton does join Booker's that solidified 1B to Booker's 1A next summer. And I also think as well, players like Bridges, you have as well players like Cam Johnson, Ty Drew off the bench there, rookies they drafted this year. I think they want them to make leaps forward too. It's going to take a lot of leaps from young players in this core, but also I think James Jones, has a lot of pressure on himself as a general manager of the Suns team because I don't think the Suns team is good enough to make them a solidified playoff team next year or even the year past that. So maybe some outside moves looking in, being aggressive in free agency, being aggressive in the trade market to bring in their star to help out Booker because they're on the clock and we know how disgruntled stars are nowadays, Kyrie Irving, Paul George, et cetera. They ask out with about one or two years up on their deal. And I know it's looking a little far ahead, but two or three years time does fly by in NBA years. And the Suns hopefully are in that position where they, that Booker's the next one doing that. The Kings front office would never admit it, but we all know Sacramento really regrets 
choosing Marvin Bagley and not selecting Luka Doncic. They tried to get cute, and so far it's bit them in the ass. That's not to say that Bagley can't have a solid career and actually maybe hopefully eventually help the Kings win championships one day. But if the Kings had Luka Doncic right now, they would be firmly in the playoffs, in my opinion. Now let's look at the Phoenix Suns, who are another team that passed on Luka Doncic. And this is kind of a two-part question. Former Sacramento Kings assistant coach, who's now the head coach of Fenerbahce in Europe, who used to be the head coach of the Phoenix Suns, Igor Kokoshkov. It seemed like a perfect fit for him to bring Luka Doncic in. Of course, DeAndre Ayton was was uh, selected or, or expected to be the number one overall pick, even with uh, Luka's high expectations coming over from Europe. But is there any regret from the Phoenix Suns organization in your mind that the, they didn't select Luka Doncic? And if they had, do you believe Igor Kokoshkov would still be the head coach of Phoenix right now? Yeah, from the Suns' perspective, I think like in the, his rookie year for DeAndre, and I think there was a lot of regret because he didn't show much defensively. He was very inconsistent as far as his offensive output goes. But this year, I think he's helped change a lot. That averaging 19 points, 12 rebounds, almost two blocks per game, doing very well efficiency-wise. I think Aiton is proving the doubters wrong, so to say. But I was like you, Matt. I was banging a Luka Doncic drum all throughout that 2018 draft pre-draft process, and I think he would have been a perfect next to Booker. I think that that back would have been so fun to watch and. Like you mentioned, I think they would have been a playoff team this year with Luka and Booker trading possessions as a lead ball handler. You have one off the ball, really spacing out for one another. I think it would have been very fun to watch that. But I think Kokoshkov would have been the head coach still. Like I mentioned before, Kokoshkov really was dealt a really bad hand in Phoenix. He was running out point guards like Isaiah Kanan and others that really weren't NBA starting quality guards. And from the very beginning there, James Jones kind of put him in a bad spot to maybe not prove himself because the point guard really is the integral piece of Igor's offense there. And without that, the Suns really struggled with 21 wins under Igor. But I think with him, if you would have drafted Luka Doncic, I think, of course, Igor would have been still here. You would have had Luka running the show, teaching the team how to run his system because they had success over in Eurobasket winning that title before Luka decided to go pro. I think overall with that situation, I think it would have made a lot of sense. But I think from Aiton's standpoint and the Suns' standpoint, the development they've seen with him under Mayan Williams is very encouraging. I think if the Suns would do it over again, I think they would still go Aiton just because I think he fits more stylistically better from an inside-out perspective with Booker than he would um, Luka Doncic because, as we know, Booker is a high-usage player over around 30% usage. So I don't know if two 30-plus percent usage guys in the same backcourt were to work that like that. But I think with Aiden himself, 2020-2021 is going to be the huge year for him. If he takes another lead forward, let's say he's like a 24-point, 12-rebound, 12 rebound guy, two and a half blocks per game. If he takes that superstar leap, I think he'll prove the doubters wrong on that. But like you mentioned, even Margaret Bagley too, Matt, those three guys will be tied together for the rest of their careers because Luca's already proven to be a legit MVP candidate in year two. And if Aiton and Bagley don't take those leaps forward, it's going to be in the back of their minds every single day. Like, why didn't they do that? You could also probably add the Atlanta Hawks into that mix as well as they drafted Luka and traded him away, but they did get Trey Young out of it uh, and a draft pick that I believe turned into Cam uh, Cam Reddish the following year. Uh, so they're feeling a little bit better than probably the Suns and the especially the Kings uh, at this point in time. I don't need to ask you if the Phoenix Suns regret the Josh Jackson pick over De'Aaron Fox because we all know that is the case and we've already talked about it uh, earlier on during the Kings segment, but I did want to bring up Josh Jackson because there was an interaction I, that he had on social media or that I saw uh, with somebody questioning the, the the failure of that pick and, and why that didn't work. And Josh Jackson responded with 
basically blaming uh, the Phoenix Suns environment that a lot of young players have come through there and not worked out. And that's worse. Or that looks worse on the organization and their environment and their, their player development than it does the young players that have come through and not been successful. Now I'm not totally team Josh Jackson here because he is struggling to find a fit anywhere and even spent some time in the G league this year. So he's definitely been a disappointment with how high of a pick that he was. Uh, but can you respond a little bit and give me a little perspective on, on his take on the, Phoenix environment is that the case or is that just Josh making excuses I think it's Josh making excuses mostly because we saw the 2016-2017 draft class for the Suns with Dragon Bender, Marquise Chris and Josh Jackson that's a that's a one way to really end your career as an executive that's what happened to Ryan McDonough they're banking on potential with Bender, Chris and Jackson and all three flaming out and really an egg on the face of McDonough and that's really what led to him being fired by Robert Sarver a week before the regular season started in 2018 with, after he drafted DeAndre at number one overall. He was, he was obsessed with DeAndre, but they went ahead and fired him because they couldn't find a point guard before the season started. And it just shows you that I think the environment of McDonough that he had there it was more not really good with player relations. It was mostly just looking at the draft. There was a lot of tanking involved there. Like Brandon Knight and Eric Bledsoe, when they were on the team, they would sit out the last 20-plus games to help the Suns get more lottery balls there. So the environment to develop and the environment to really put a winning competitive environment in place was not there at McDonough, but James Jones – new GMs really helped change that a lot. Same with Monty Williams, new head coach there, where it's a lot of win now. It's a lot of, hey, let's go out and make some history. Let's go out and work on our games every day and be better and also get a conducive environment in place. Because Josh Jackson, if Kings fans don't know, he had a lot of off-the-court issues as well. He was arrested multiple times in Phoenix. He also was late to a, a players event. Uh, and he, never, he had a no-call, no-show to a players event, an autograph signing. And James Jones had to come to that autograph signing and make it up to the fans, buying them drinks and buying them. Um, balls, autographs, so, so to say. So that was a really bad look on Josh Jackson's part. He really did not seem like he wanted to be in Phoenix after the first year or so when it wasn't going well for him. So I think it's mostly excuses on Josh Jackson's part, but I think he does bring up a good point about the environment there. But I think it has changed since Ryan McDonough went out of town and he was fired in 2018. And James Jones and Miley Williams were kind of resetting and rebuilding that culture from the ground up, so to say. Final question I have for you, Evan. Uh, the You mentioned the Suns are looking to play the role of spoiler maybe a little bit. They have very little chance of making the playoffs. Of course, they're still going to fight for it and go for it. I'm not trying to disrespect them there. But most likely, these games that they're going to be playing are to spoil the chances of the other bubble teams in the Western Conference. It's a position that the Sacramento Kings have been in every single year for the last 13, 14 seasons. So we're very familiar with it here uh, in Sacktown. But every single year, we always look forward to a team in particular who we want to spoil. And I say the, the, the global we, of course, meaning the Sacramento Kings. Uh, is there a team in particular in this bubble? Maybe it's even the Sacramento Kings that the Suns, even though they're not playing the Kings, the Suns want to spoil that team's chances at being that bubble team and making the eighth seed. I, uh, that's a good question. I feel like, honestly, it might be Memphis themselves because uh, they're one of those teams surprising enough that we're in that eighth spot. They are entrenched in that spot by multiple games ahead of everyone else. But you see the schedule they're playing. They're playing the Wizards first off, and they play the Mavericks and the Clippers and Pacers. Let's say they go 3-1 and one in that scenario, and that pushes them down the ladder, so to say. And the Grizzlies, they have, I think, a pretty easy schedule at first. But I think they want to help out these other West Conference teams make it a little bit more fair. So I could see them going – and getting a good position in their schedule. Let's say they go 6-2 and two or 5-3, and three, and that helps push down a team like Memphis. It helps boost up a team like Sacramento, New Orleans, and Portland. I think make it a little more even like that. I could see them playing spoiler to them, but also teams out in the Eastern Conference too, like the Miami Heat, they play them. The Philadelphia 76ers, the Suns always play well against. 
I think they're going to be spoiling a lot of teams out there. But I think from the West West Conference perspective, I think it's making the bubble more fair for these teams trying to get in this playing tournament. The Suns do well for themselves. That probably means everyone is doing well for themselves in this bubble environment. And that could mean this could be a lot of fun and kind of a race to the finish, so to say, for that eight spot. I will say, too, the Kings are, of course, trying to catch the Grizzlies and make the playoffs and firmly believe that they can do it. But if they were to play spoiler as well, it would be the Memphis Grizzlies that they're trying to catch. I know De'Aaron Fox has been very aware of the comparisons between him and John Morant and many even saying, and this is national media personalities and, 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 and outlets saying that, John Morant is already the better player and you would be better off building your your organization and your future around Morant than you would De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron has heard that and taken that to heart and he's taken John Morant to school every single time uh, the Kings and Grizzlies have played so far this season. And on top of that, you know as well as I do, the Kings have been rebuilding for basically children's entire lives like it's been a long time uh, since Sacramento has found the playoffs and they've been rebuilding and have started over time and time and time again so the fact that the Memphis Grizzlies were able to start their rebuild so quickly get Jaron Jackson Jr. get John Morant a couple of other young players come in along with a few veterans they they make that trade for Jameis Winston and suddenly uh, here they are, uh, or rather Justice Winslow. Uh, suddenly, here they are. They're in the uh, the playoff picture, and they might be the eighth seed in the Western Conference. There's definitely some bad blood between the Kings and the Grizzlies and maybe a little jealousy. Yeah, I think it's going to be fun to watch this all play out, Matt, because all these bubble teams, they have a unique storyline revolving around them. I think most of it does revolve around trying to play spoiler here and trying to make this a really fun environment. I think this eight games will be very fun to watch. And the Kings are one of the more intriguing teams to me because they have a former son, Rashawn Holmes, doing well for himself there. But De'Aaron Fox is one of my favorite players to watch from the guard position in the NBA, and I feel like he's going to be taking that start leap here very soon. But that's going to do for our crossover special here today. Matt, appreciate the time here. You can follow him on Twitter at MattGeorgeKHTX. Matt, appreciate it. Hey, no problem, man. It's a it's a pleasure speaking with you. And I've said this before when talking to Phoenix Suns fans and Phoenix Suns media, there is nothing that I would like more than a Suns and Kings rivalry eventually at the top of the Western Conference featuring Booker and Aiton versus Fox and Marvin Bagley. That would be something special. So hopefully we get that.